I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works by giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his instructions are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, that means several different things. One of the biggest things it means, we see it in that verse, that last verse, is those who follow his instructions. That's what it means, basically, to fear of the Lord. We obey the Lord's commands. We follow his instructions. And when we fear the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. So if you want wisdom, you need to know what the Lord says, and you need to learn to do what he says. And we all want wisdom, right? So that's, I think that's a good, uh, good song to remind us of that. So we're going to sing some songs of praise to the Lord. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Hallelujah, you have 
such boundless grace. The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living home hallelujah praise the one who set me free salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence. no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living quiet in here. Praise God.
is a time and service for communion. If you're a member of the body of Christ, we invite you to join with us. Today we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, and the words will be on the screen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup of, after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion to me is the most important part of our service that we do here. It is a time that we get to come and meet with the Lord and share in the covenant that he is he made with us and sealed through his death on the cross. We can't just take communion half-heartedly by just going through the motions. It cheapens his covenant and his death. So after you examine yourself to make sure that you are ready, I challenge you to make it personal. Put all your effort into it. One thing that helps me when I do it is I try to picture the scene of him with his disciples, breaking the bread, blessing it, passing it around, and then uh, blessing the wine and passing it around. It makes it feel so real. Whatever you do or say during communion uh, when you're talking to God, don't just go through the motions because he didn't go through the motions for us. Let us pray. God, thank you for bringing us here today safely. Bless this communion which we are about to receive. Help us to remember its importance and not just get caught up in going through the motions. Thank you for your many wonderful blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, if you're new here, um, out in the foyer on the welcome table, there is a, um, a welcome card. We'd like you to fill it out. If you're interested in um, learning new things about the church um, or ways to get connected and serve, um, you can fill that out also and just put it in the offering box and we'll get back to you. Um, in the foyer underneath the TV, you'll find um, a large plastic container where you can put used pill bottles for Matthew 25 Ministries. They do um, pill bottle donations. Next to that, you'll see another container for used ink cartridges. Um, Carol Hankins is the contact for that. We use um, we take them to the supply store to help reduce costs for office supplies here at the church. Every Thursday, 5 to 7, we have the food pantry and clothes closet and the first Saturday of the month, 10 until noon. So that is coming up this Saturday if you're interested in coming to check it out and serve or just kind of see what, what we do there. You're welcome to do that.
This week we'll be starting the women's Bible study, so with empty nesters um, studying through the book of Galatians. You should have already ordered your book through with Sharon Ponchot. Um, so it'll be Thursdays at 10 a.m. Um, at Ruth Liming's house. Tuesdays and Thursdays we have the free ladies dance fitness class refit. So it takes place here in the sanctuary. If you're interested in coming out, all, all levels of activity. Um, we do have a devotion afterwards, so that's Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.30. Heartland Kids. Um, not sure if everybody knows or not, but Karen Scott is one of our main servants downstairs alongside Michelle. Um, she's currently having treatment for um, cancer, and so... This is her love, if anybody knows Karen. So pray for her. Pray for Bob. But Karen loves teaching. So we want to make sure that we can serve not only God, but the church, and serve Karen in a way that we can keep the kids downstairs. Not that they're not welcome up here, but Karen loves teaching. So if you're interested in signing up for the nursery or a children's church, any of the kids' ministries, there's a sign up at the welcome table. Tithes and offerings can be given through the offering box in the back of the sanctuary underneath the clock. Um, I will also add the blessing boxes, or the blessing bags are still out there if you want to take any, just to have in your car to give out um, in case you would need them. You never know when you're going to need them. And... So let's jump right in. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. So let's turn together in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 7 through 9. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 9. When you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The title of today's teaching is Be Ready for the End. Be Ready for the End. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 9, the scriptures say, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. You may be seated. And what if you knew for certain that the Lord is coming back today? What if you knew that the end of all things was just hours away? Would that change the way you live? I remember somebody asked John Wesley this one time. They said, what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming back today? He said, I would do the same thing I always do. You know, I serve the Lord with all my heart, so I, so I would uh, do the same thing I always do. But what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming back today? Would, you change, would it change the way you live? Would you do more to prepare to meet your God? You know, a couple verses before the, the verses we just read, Peter says that the Lord stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And then that prompts Peter to remind us that the end of all things is near. How near? Well, only the Lord knows. But Peter and the other apostles taught the early church to live like the Lord could come back at any moment. And the American church used to teach the same thing but we've slipped into apathy. We're no longer focused on the fact that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. That day is coming soon, and that's the day Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, where Peter says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, It is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now we don't need to know precisely the times and periods when all this will happen. And we don't need to know exactly how all of this is going to play out. We just need to always be ready to meet the Lord. 
We need to live each day like the end of all things is near. And in today's passage, Peter teaches us two things we all need to do to be ready for the end. That's what we'll talk about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And as your word is proclaimed today, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. Give us hearts that are ready to receive and wills that are eager to obey the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we need to do to be ready for the end is keep praying. Keep praying. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. But what does it mean to be alert and sober-minded? Well, one commentator said, the two verbs together suggest a disciplined life with all the faculties under control and the energies unimpaired by any kind of excess. Being alert and sober-minded means we take life seriously, that we understand what's at stake. We know we're in a daily fight for our souls, and we're convinced that how we live in this life will determine where we spend eternity. So we do all we can to stay alert. Peter's call here is to get our minds right, to get our thought life right, to get our priorities right, so we can get our prayer life right. Peter's saying, throw off anything of the world that would impair godly thinking and actions, or anything of the world that would soothe you to sleep or intoxicate you in any way. Throw it off and stay alert and sober-minded so you can pray fervently and effectively. And here, Peter not only speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter also speaks from personal experience. Now, this is a lesson that Peter had to learn the hard way in his own life. At one point, Peter was an example of the opposite of being alert and sober-minded for prayer. Just a few hours before the Lord Jesus would suffer and die for the sins of the world, Jesus was eager to spend that time in prayer talking to his Father. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and we pick up the narrative in Matthew 26, 37 through 39. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, taking along Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus chose Peter, James, and John to be close to him at this time of severe sorrow and trouble. Jesus told them about the deep, overwhelming grief that he felt, and Jesus knew that he needed to pray. Jesus also knew that Peter, James, and John needed to pray too. So Jesus says, stay awake with me and pray with me. But watch what Jesus' closest disciples did while their master was agonizing in prayer. Matthew goes on to tell us in Matthew 26, 40 through 45. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. So while their master was grieved to the point of death, fallen face down and absorbed in agonizing prayer, prayer so intense that Luke tells us his sweat became like great drops of blood, Peter, James, and John slept. They slept while they should have been watching and praying. And this is at least one reason why they, they all fled when Jesus was arrested and why Peter later denied Jesus three times. See, Jesus told them they needed to watch and to pray so that they would not enter into temptation. But they slept instead. They did not prepare themselves for temptation by staying alert and being sober-minded for prayer. They allowed the weakness of their flesh to control their spiritual life. And as a result, well, they were not ready for temptation when it came. Now, Peter learned that lesson well, and Peter wants us to learn this same lesson well. 
to be ready for every temptation and to fight every temptation so that we're ready for the end, we must stay awake and sober-minded so we can pray. All of us need to continually ask ourselves this question. Which Peter am I? Am I the Peter who's sleeping and resting when the master said I should be watching and praying? Am I the Peter who allowed his flesh to control his spiritual life? Or am I the Peter who is now filled with, being led by and controlled by the Holy Spirit, the Peter who is now alert and sober, sober-minded for prayer? You know, I know prayer is not easy. I know establishing a set schedule for prayer seems impossible, especially when the devil attacks you every time you try to do it. And I know that often when we try to pray, we find ourselves like Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. We just cannot keep our eyes open. You know, it's like we can't control our eyelids. The spirit of stupor comes over us all when we try to pray. But despite the difficulties, we can and we must set aside regular time every day for prayer And we can and we must do whatever it takes to keep ourselves awake during those times of prayer. Now let me give you a simple suggestion that will help you stay awake when you pray. I used to struggle with falling asleep when I pray until I started to pray like this. Start to pray while standing. Start to pray while standing. Don't sit down, don't kneel down, stand up and pray. And you might think it's somehow irreligious or improper to pray while standing, but I learned to practice prayer while standing from our master. You know, Luke eleven twenty five, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer, Jesus says this, and whenever you stand praying, he didn't say whenever you sit, whenever you lay down, whenever you're, whenever you're kneeling, he said whenever you stand praying. The standing is a posture for prayer that Jesus endorses. You know, it's nearly impossible to fall asleep while you're standing up. And if you do fall asleep while you're standing and praying, well, at least you'll have an interesting story to tell others when you wake up. No, but seriously, start to stand up when you pray. It'll help you, I can guarantee it. See if that doesn't help you stay awake. And we need to keep ourselves alert for prayer. So let's fight every weakness of the flesh. Let's be ready for and avoid all the devil's distractions because they always come when we start to pray. Let's stay awake and sober-minded so we can pray to live like the Lord wants us to live. So we can pray to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So that we can pray to be ready for the end. Now, as important as, as it is to keep praying to keep us ready for the end, well, there's a second thing we need to do that's even more important. To be ready for the end, we must keep loving and notice in the first part of 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Notice those words, above all. And what this means is maintaining love for others is our number one priority as Christians. Love for one another is the primary principle of the Christian life. Love is the supreme command. But Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second greatest is, the commandment is, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. And Paul said the entire law is fulfilled in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is why Peter says, above all, we need to maintain a constant love for one another. Love is the supreme command. Now, the Greek word behind the word constant, where Peter says to maintain a constant love, the Greek word behind that word means to stretch out. It's like an athlete who struggles and strains to win a race. And it carries the idea of strenuous effort. And this imagery teaches us an important truth about love. Love is work. Love is hard work. And love for fellow Christians is something that we must strenuously strive to maintain. It's not automatic, and it's not easy. As Peter goes on to show us, maintaining this constant love for one another will lead us to do two things that don't come naturally to most of us. First, love leads us to cover the sins of others. Love leads us to cover the sins of others. 
So in the second part of 1 Peter 4.8, quoting from Proverbs 10.12, Peter says, Love covers a multitude of sins. And what does Peter mean by love covers a multitude of sins? Well, very simply, he means when we love others, when we overlook some of the sins our brothers and sisters commit against us and against others. He means we don't confront our brothers and sisters in Christ over every sin. When we have constant love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll cover their sins. Now let's talk about sin for just a minute. One definition of sin is missing the mark. It's an archery term. So when someone said you sinned in archery, it meant that you did not hit the target that you were aiming at. You missed the target. And applied to our spiritual lives, there's a target that you and I are aiming at. And if we miss that target, we miss the mark in any way, well, then we've sinned. So what is the target that we're aiming at? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 29, he says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the target for every Christian is Christ-likeness. That's God's goal for all of us. God created us in Christ Jesus to be conformed to the image of his Son. He wants us all to be like our big brother, the Lord Jesus. I want you to start thinking of yourself that, as, as that too. You're, you're brothers and sisters of Christ. Jesus is our big brother. He's the Lord. He's our brother. We're part of his family. Anyway, that's what we're all aiming at. That's the target we're trying to hit. And in any area where I'm not Christ-like and where you're not Christ-like in our attitudes, our actions, I'm missing the target. You're missing the target. We're missing the mark, and therefore, we're sinning. Now, we might not like to call it sin, but that's what Peter's talking about when he says, love covers a multitude of sins. He's talking about the sins where you and I are not 100% Christ-like, where our character is not quite conformed to his image. But I want you to listen to this very carefully. This does not mean that Christians continue in lawlessness and God's grace covers it. It does not mean that we're still lawbreakers who are slaves to sin. As God's children, we're freed from the control of sin in our lives. The scriptures say we died to sin. And through God's grace, we have power to live free from lawlessness. But being freed from lawlessness is very different than being completely conformed to the image of Christ. Being free from lawlessness does not mean my character and your character are, are automatically perfected when we come to Christ. There are areas of our minds that need to, be re need to be renewed. Areas where our thinking, our speaking, our actions, and our reactions need to be transformed. And that's a process that the scriptures call becoming holy as God is holy. Another word for that is sanctification. We're becoming holy as God is holy. And every single one of us are at different levels here as we learn to live in God's grace and walk in the Spirit as a new creation in Christ. And that's a process that we've all got to work on. And Peter says through this process, we need to maintain a constant love for one another because love will cause us to overlook the areas in one another's lives where we need further sanctification and all of us need further sanctification. Love leads us to overlook the areas in one another's lives where, where we sin by falling short of Christ's image. Love covers a multitude of sin. And when we love others, we suffer long with their frailties. We don't allow ourselves to become irritated by their flaws. How many of us need help with that? We suffer long with their failures, and we're still kind to them. When we love others, we don't keep any record of their wrongs against us. We don't keep tabs to, so that we can throw people's mistakes in their face when they make us mad. We don't, talk, we don't talk to others about the failures of others. We cover the sins of others. We bear with them in all things. We believe the best about others in all things. We endure their sins. We endure all the places where others are not yet conformed to Christ's image. We bear with them in love. As Paul says in Colossians three twelve through 13, he says, As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against, against another 
Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So when we love others, we bear with them. And we're quick to forgive any grievance we have with them. We want to treat others like we want the Lord to treat us as far as forgiveness goes. See, that's the kind of love our God and Father has for us. That's the kind of love that his son Jesus demonstrated on the earth. And that's the kind of love we must have for one another. We must keep loving because love will cover a multitude of sins. But we do have to be balanced with this. While love covers a multitude of sins in others, while love overlooks the areas where we're not quite perfectly like Christ, well, there are times when love must uncover and confront sin in others. There are times when we've got to rebuke our brother or sister for their sin, times when their sins are grievous enough that overlooking their sin would not be loving. But how do we know the difference? How do we know when it's time to cover sin and when it's time to confront sin? Now, we've often heard it said that all sin is the same. You all ever heard that? It's all the same to God. It really doesn't matter. Sin is sin. It doesn't really matter. We've all heard that. But that's just not true. See, the scriptures teach us that there are different degrees of sin. Listen to what John says in 1 John 5, 16 through 17. He said, if anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. So according to John, all unrighteousness is sin. And there are some sins that lead to death, and others that do not lead to death. So all sins are not the same. Some sins are worse than others and deserve a harsher penalty. So some sins can be overlooked, while others cannot. And it's the sins that lead to death that cannot be overlooked. Sins that cannot, we cannot cover in other believers. The scriptures teach us that when we see our brother or sister in those kinds of sins, then we've got to lovingly confront them. The sins that lead to death are the sins that will keep us out of the kingdom of God. And Paul gives us examples of these sins in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. And I'm going to say this again. Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. See, we've been convinced by people that that preach today that the unrighteous will inherit God's kingdom. We've been deceived. So don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now, if someone is a member of the church and they're involved in any sins like sexual immorality, adultery, or homosexuality, if someone is involved in any sins like stealing or greed or being a drunkard or verbally abusive to others, well, we're to confront them about their sin. We're to plead with them to turn from those sins because those sins will kill them and keep them out of God's kingdom. Now, in any instance where we've got to confront sin in our brothers or sisters, The way we do it is very important. We need to do it with a gentle spirit and with the goal of turning our brother or sister from their sin and back to God. As Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. We always confront gently. We always do it not in a spirit of pride as if I'm better than you somehow, but we, we know that we can be tempted as well. We confront gently and always with the goal of our brothers and sisters, repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. So there are times when we must lovingly confront the grievous sins of others, and other times we, can, we must lovingly cover the sins of others. And Peter says when we keep loving one another, the love leads us to cover the lesser multitude of ways other sins, a lesser multitude of ways people are not Christ-like. And love also leads us to cover others in a second and final way. Love leads us to cover the needs of others. Now, 1 Peter 4, 9, Peter says, be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable. Being hospitable literally means to be a lover and a receiver of strangers. 
It means you love strangers, you bring strangers into your circle. But this does not mean that we open our homes to every stranger off the street. That dude that shows up with the hockey mask at your front door, don't let him in. Don't, this is not talking about that. And the context here is other believers. It's important that we see this. The context is other believers. We're to be lovers of other believers, even if they're strangers to us. And strangers are not necessarily people that we don't know at all. They're strangers because they're not a part of our common circle of family and friends. See, we, we, I mean, we're all pretty much acquainted with each other. And it doesn't mean we all know each other that well, right? We're still strangers in some ways. But when we're hospitable, we bring other Christians into our circle who are not normally a part of our circle. And we treat them like family by covering their needs. See, God calls all of us to be hospitable to his people. We're to open up and share our lives with one another. And this may include inviting Christians that we don't know very well to a restaurant or to our homes so that we can share a meal, so that they can share a meal with our family. It may include offering other Christians a place to sleep when they need it. It may include providing food and clothing for fellow believers. There are many ways, multitudes of ways you can think about that we can and should show hospitality to one another. Many ways that we can bring other Christians into our circle and treat them like family. Now, the heart of hospitality is Christian love in action. And we show hospitality by covering the needs of others. As John says in 1 John 3, 16 through 17, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And this next verse is going to show you that he's not necessarily talking about that we have to die for each other. He says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is the love that Peter is talking about. Love that leads us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like Christ laid down his life for us. He became poor so that we could become rich, right? So that's kind of the, 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 the idea that John has here. And that includes being hospitable, inviting people to share in our lives, using the goods that God gives us to meet the needs of other Christians. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. Are we willing to share our lives with others? Are we willing to let others into our circle? Are we willing to lay down our lives to show hospitality to, to cover the needs of others? Well, we will be if we maintain a constant love for one another. But this does not come easy to all of us. We've got to work at this. Listen to the words Peter adds to the end of 1 Peter 4 9. He says, Peter urges us to be hospitable to one another without complaining. Now, why did Peter need to add those two words to the end of that? Well, it's because this is an area where we're likely to need some sanctifying. An area where some of us are likely to have some failings. Now, being hospitable would not be easy for many of us, especially for us who are introverted by nature. <laughs> Inviting people into our comfortable little circle, opening our home to other Christians, treating Christians we don't know very well, like family... Well, that's going to cause us some level of inconvenience. And when we're inconvenienced, what is our natural reaction? We complain, right? We complain. When we're forced out of our comfort zone, we're inclined to complain. But if we allow the supernatural love of God to fill our hearts, if we keep asking God to help us to maintain this constant, fervent, genuine love for God's people through God's grace... Well, that love will lead us to be hospitable to others, to cover the needs of others without complaining, even when it makes us uncomfortable. So we need this constant reminder. God blesses us with everything we have, right? Everything you and I have, it comes from God. And he gives it to us not so that we'll keep it all for ourselves, but so that we'll use the things that God has given us to show love for his people by serving them. God's people. All of us are strangers and foreigners on this earth. And we should help and show hospitality to our fellow strangers and our fellow foreigners by meeting their needs. We're to keep loving one another. And that love will cause us to cover the needs of others. Now I want to close by asking you again. 
What if you knew for certain that the Lord is coming back today? Would it change the way that you live? Well, Peter's goal with this passage is to show us that this should change the way we live. He wants us to focus on living every day as if this is the day the Lord is coming. He wants us to be ready for the end. And he taught us two ways to do that. We must keep praying and we must keep loving by covering the sins of others and covering the needs of others. And you might say, well, how does that help me to remain ready for the end to come? Well, this keeps us ready for the end because it puts our focus in the right place. So we stay focused on God in prayer and we stay focused on loving service to God's people well, then we won't have time to get mixed up in the things of the world. We'll keep our focus in the right place, and then we'll be ready when the end comes. So let me encourage you this week. Pray like the Lord is coming today. Love like the Lord is coming back today, because one day the Lord will come. So let's keep praying and keep loving so we'll always be ready for the end. Let's all stand. we ask you today to help us to apply what we've heard. Give us the grace to keep praying, to keep loving, to cover the sins and the needs of others. Give us these things so that we'll be always be ready when the end comes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to know that you're welcome to come forward uh, for prayer. Somebody will be up here to pray, pray with you. They're going to sing another song. But you're welcome to come forward to pray. And, uh Amazing grace, how sweet sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed My chains are gone, I've been set free My God, my Savior, has ransomed me And like a flood Mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me, His word, my hope in you. Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The earth shall
Amazing 